There's a song, the line in the song that says, there's an army rising up. And I should remind us, everybody gets nervous when we talk about armies. The Bible is clear. Our battle is not against other people. Our battle is against the enemy, who we're going to be talking about today. I want to welcome you to the orchard, and if you're new with us, we are in the middle of a series about Nehemiah from the Old Testament, who was a, a building a new future, and it has to do with vision. And so we've been talking a lot about vision, and I want to remind us that vision is seeing what could be despite the reality of what is. Vision is the ability to see what could be despite what is. And I was talking to a friend of mine named Alice about some time she spent um, digging in snow mass for the Mastodon. Was anybody else a part of that? It's a pretty cool thing, right? Okay, none of us. Um, <laughs> but it made me think of vision because we have, we had over 300 people totaling 30,000 hours of work. We had... 69 days of excavation, removing eight tons of dirt by hand. A community formed as people um, sacrificed time with their jobs or their families or other things to be there, and they all look back on that time with just warmth and pride. But what, what actually happened? You see a guy with a bulldozer ran over a bone. He saw a bone in the dirt, which isn't that out of, you know, that's not a big deal. A one bone in the dirt doesn't really inspire anybody to leave their job or go up there and move eight tons of dirt. But you see, while some see just a rib bone, someone had the vision to see what else was under there and what could be. Someone had the vision of a completed mastodon skeleton where the other people just saw dirt and bones. And when that person painted a picture of what could be, it changed the way people looked at the dirt. You see, vision changes the way we see things. I'm no longer just looking at dirt and a bone. There's something else under there, something greater. And when, when it comes to vision, well, while, while some people just see a bone and some people just see something small, there are a few who see something greater. And we got to see the end result of this visionary as they, they found all these scattered bones and put them into something amazing. You see, vision paints a picture of what could be despite the reality that we're currently seeing. Vision sees what could be. Vision changes things. And when our hearts are captured by a big vision, it causes us to risk and sacrifice moving forward. And for many of us, there have been times where we've been captured by a vision to change, to be different, either personally or for our families or businesses or even here at church. But when we verbalize it, when you speak out that vision, like Nehemiah did last week, it's not always met with the rousing gasps of inspiration, is it? Or, or the beating of angelic wings. Or, or just spontaneous applause of your spouse and friends. You see, when you speak out most often about something you want to change or, or a vision bigger than yourself, a lot of times we faced opposition instead of affirmation. I mean, have you ever wanted to make a change? A shift inside, of maybe your character or how you do something, and you get criticism? Have you ever wanted to change your work and, and be a different kind of, of employee and you're met with ridicule of your coworkers? You see, there are people around us who don't like change. And there are people around us who, when they see us change it, it immediately highlights what they're unwilling to change. Vision causes us to stick our neck out. Vision calls us to step out. And when we step out, we open ourselves to criticism and opposition oftentimes from the places we need support most. And today, as we're reading about Nehemiah, we're going to be looking at this very thing because Nehemiah is this man in the Old Testament who was captured by a great vision 
to rebuild the people's lives of his homeland, of Jerusalem. Now, it was going to cost him everything. He had to risk and sacrifice. And many of you might look at this stage and go, what's going on up there? This is a representation of just the rubble that the people of Nehemiah's day had to deal with. You see, they had no city wall. And, and unlike walls now, that wall back then, that was their main defense. They didn't have jets or anything to go over it or bombs. If your city didn't have a wall, you were undefended. And so for Nehemiah, the, the city wall represented the people. And God said, rebuild for a better future. And he stepped out. He had a vision from God. He left the luxury of the king of Persia, traveled to Jerusalem, and then he, he had that moment, last week we talked about it, where he spoke the vision out loud. And you see what's gonna happen. And the people responded. And they said this, let us rise up and do this good work. And they did. And last week I called us, the orchard, to rise up as a church to, to find a place where your gifts and your talents could lead or serve. And I've only been a pastor for a month, so I have all the answers, right? A lead pastor, I get this, right? But I, I've been so excited this past week as many of you have, have emailed or called or talked to me and said, I, you know, here's my gifts. I don't know how they can fit, but I'm in. Here's my talent. Here's my passion. Do you have a place? Can we create a place? Can we start a new ministry? And to see people inspired to rise up and serve. And also, others of you decided this past week to, to support the Orchard's vision in a new way with your resources, I gotta tell you, it just means so much that when we choose to follow Jesus, to fund the, the Orchard's vision with our first fruits. And remember, this church movement is fully funded by, by families like mine and, and by yours. And we're gonna have a lot of fun as we see what God does when we have greater effectiveness in our community, as we rise up to this vision. Now, there's still so many areas that, that some of you, I know you're gifted, I know you're talented, I know you're passionate. And I'm just asking that, um, that God continue to ignite our hearts for the vision here because the vision will move forward with greater velocity when we decide to rise up with our talents, giftings, passions, and resources to see God do something that no one person or no staff or no group can do on their own. And we're gonna see these things as, as God continues to call us. Now, Nehemiah and the people all jumped on board of this vision and this mission, and they, they began to work for the future of, of the people around them. They went into monumental effort, sacrificial investment, and they saw the city wall began to get rebuilt, and their, and their homes. In fact, they did some archaeology, and the wall was nine feet thick. This is no just small thing, and they're working at it, and they're making progress, and something happens. As they make progress, the tide changes a little bit, and that's where we pick up today in Nehemiah 4. You can follow along on the screens. When Sambalot, which is a great word for a villain, great name, Sambalot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and was greatly angered. He ridiculed and mocked the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble people doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they, will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble as burned as they are? Now, notice the enemy gets angry. Before this, all of God's people were quietly going about their lives, doing nothing. But the moment they step up in vision, opposition comes. The enemy didn't seem to care if they just went along with their quiet lives. But the moment they step up, then he ridicules them. And the first place he attacks, we see this, is at their identity. He says, who do they think they are? 
I mean, it's like he's saying, like, let me remind you who you are. You are weak. You are feeble. Nehemiah's enemy also reminds the people of their past, their defeat, and their failings. How can you believe you'll rebuild something great out of the past that was broken? Can you revive these dead stones? Look at what you, look at all this stuff. You know, when you're trying to raise up the gumption to be different, when you want to make adjustments, even if it's just here in the place, here in this place, you'll probably be reminded of your past failings. You'll probably get to view your sin in crystal clear detail. Have you ever had that where you want to change, you want to step up, you want to make some adjustments, and all of a sudden your past comes back in and those old tapes get played? If the people in here knew what you've done, we have that whisper, that voice. Nehemiah's enemy attacks the people at their identity and at their past. And this is important to see. You see, whenever we step out for redemptive change, whether it's in our personal life or work or our family, whenever you consider stepping up to lead or to serve or to be a part of something bigger than yourself, you are going to be attacked at your identity. Who do you think you are? (laughs) What qualifies you to work or serve or lead? And then you'll get the second one. Reminders of your past. Do they know what you've done? Let me remind you what you've been doing. Let me remind you of what's happened in your past. And, and Orchard, when was the last time you heard some of these whispers? When was the last time you felt this condemnation? You see, we get so used to them, we begin to think it's our own just inner dialogue. Oh, yeah. We get so used to it. So for some of us, this condemnation is a constant companion. Let me ask you a strange question this morning. These whispers that attack your identity and remind you of your past, where do you think their origin is from? Do you think they come from the throne room in heaven? God just wants to remind you and put you in your place? Or could they come from hell? Do these accusations in our lives push us to be the best we can be and step out in faith? Or do these accusations want to keep our our faith small, our mouths closed, our lives unchanged? You see, when reminded of your past sins, do you think it's the voice of God just kind of bringing some charges against you? Or could it come from a darker place? You see, as long as we allow ourselves to be defined by our sin, we'll never be able to define ourselves by the love of God. It's important how we define ourselves. As long as we define ourselves by our past nightmares, we'll never reach the dreams that God has for us in the future. As long as we identify ourselves with the shame of what we once did, we'll never truly identify with our Savior who takes our shame away. It's important to know which voice you're listening to. This is very important, and the Bible is clear that while God speaks life to your hearts, and he calls you to redemption, his spirit calls you, his word calls you to a greater identity as a child of God who's beloved and and forgiven, There's another voice, another voice that speaks to humanity and God's word names this voice the accuser. We've spoken about this in the past. The accuser brings false charges against the people of God. The accuser is a constant stream of who do you think you are? The accuser desires for the people of God's lives to remain small, diminished, and unchanged. And and don't just take my word for it. Jesus himself came face to face with this accuser during his life. You see, in Matthew 4, Jesus is led to the wilderness 
to pray and fast because he's about to launch the greatest redemptive movement ever known. He is about to launch his ministry, which will echo through the ages and change history and change eternity. And while he's there, he's approached by the devil, Satan. Now the word there in the Greek means false accuser or slanderer, which is perfect. The accuser tempts Jesus three times, each a different tactic, but in and through it all is this. If you are who you say you are, You see, even Jesus gets attacked at his identity. The enemy's tactics haven't changed much, have they? He hasn't needed to. This is where Nehemiah and his people were attacked. Who do you think you are, you feeble people? This is also where you and where I are most attacked, at this deep level of our identity. When we step out into a vision to change, to make change, to be change, we will be facing opposition. Nehemiah, for the first time, faces this this opposition where he's stepping out to accomplish something. And what's his response? I mean, how how should he respond to such a thing? It's important for us to get this because if we do not learn how to respond to opposition against us, we will bail on the vision that God gives us. If we don't learn to deal and respond to the opposition against us, we're gonna give up on the vision he's called us to. This is very important. Anytime we hope to change, we open ourselves to criticism. And anytime there's criticism, it can lead to disappointment. And if we don't handle our disappointment, we'll eventually give up and we'll live a life of regret for giving up on the things that mattered most in life. You know, some of the greatest things in my past isn't remorse for what I have done, it's regret for what I didn't do that I could have done. And that's what opposition and disappointment do for us. You see, if we bail on the vision because of disappointment, instead of always wondering what could be, we'll be stuck wondering what could have been. So we must learn to face the opposition. How we handle that as people here and as individuals will greatly affect what our future looks like. You know, I was inspired a few years ago, many years ago actually, um, to try a whole new level of physical training. It's a popular, popular one even here in town that a lot of people do, and I watched videos of it on YouTube. And it was like in slow motion with music, and I would just picture myself doing it, and I started to go, yeah, I have a vision for this. It's going to change my life. I showed my wife, and she looked at me like, <laughs> I was like, that's going to be me. I'm going to do it all in slow motion, carrying a sandbag. I'm going to do it all. I showed my friends, like, oh, this has changed. I even went, this, I went and um, my, my son was just an infant. And I put him down. I, I put my phone on the side there on the timer and took a before picture because the next day, life was going to be different. Well, I went, and it was different. I joined my first class, and I went in there, and I did in that first class what I saw them do in the video, but I didn't do it in slow motion. I wasn't that guy. Don't worry. I was doing all these exercises, and I was lifting things that no person on their first day should be lifting, and I was just going all after it. I did this ab workout. Those guys in the movie 300, they would be so jealous because I could just, on the way home, I could feel. I was like, I, I think I have one right here. I don't know. I, it's either a hernia or an ab. I don't know. And so... I was inspired. It was day one of my physical life change, and I went to bed just an exhausted but happy man. I, lay, I, just, I woke up the next morning on my back, birds chirping, and something strange happened. I normally would just sit up, but something went horribly wrong. <laughs> I'm glad it's funny. I tried to sit up, 
I tried to sit up, but, um, but I couldn't. I, 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 I laid there. I tried again to sit up with all my might with zero results. My ab muscles were so traumatized, they just went on strike and stopped. I'm not even exaggerating. I could not. I could not crunch up even a little. I, I did this thing I, I'm not proud of, but I, I flopped over and slid out of the bed. And I, I, walked to the, I walked to the bathroom, and I turned on the shower, and I couldn't even really wash my hair. I had to, like my, my hands, <laughs> I put shampoo on the wall and rubbed my head against. <laughs> I drove my car with my knees. <laughs> I mean, you guys, has anybody else been there? Just me? Yeah, well, I didn't hold my infant son for three days, and my... My friend said that, you know, maybe that slow motion stuff isn't for you. And I had to, after it wore off, like six years later, I had to agree, that's not for, that's maybe not for me. You see, I was so excited. I had the vision, I had everything. But at the first moment, the first day of opposition, I was not prepared for the disappointment. I was just not prepared for that level of opposition, of my body revolting, and I quit. And it's a very funny illustration, but if we're all honest, there are levels deep within us, in our personal lives, where we have desired real, lasting change, character, behavior, and we bailed because we couldn't handle the opposition. We couldn't handle the disappointment. Opposition from within our own self, just betraying us and caving in. Opposition from those around us who maybe want to keep us down. And opposition from that inner whisper who wants to keep us captive. So we bailed. And I know this for a fact. For some of us, we've bailed so much on making these changes that we're afraid to even think about trying again. We have failed so often in trying to adjust our character or step into something that it's hard to even hope again. We must get better at facing opposition and dealing with disappointment. So what does Nehemiah do here? Let's learn from him. What does he do? He's doing great things for God, but now he has a legitimate enemy who desires to stop him. So what would you do? Nehemiah here, he responds in the same way that he started the whole thing off. He prays. That's right, he prays. And a few weeks ago, I, I told you, when something goes wrong in our life or our friend's life or even a national tragedy, and we pray, a lot of times we're mocked for it. Thoughts and prayers. And, there, and you know what, we've earned, we've earned that. Because I want to say something that Nehemiah shows us right here. Listen, we should start with prayer, but we should never stop with prayer. You see, we are called to be a people of justice and compassion and charity and help and love and grace. And many of us, our hearts burn in those places and we can't just say thoughts and prayers. There's people out there suffering in our nation, internationally. We start with prayer, but we can't dare stop in prayer. Nehemiah prays, but then he moves. We read that after he prays, he goes and stations guards all along the wall, and beyond that, he arms the workers with swords. Listen to his changes. From that day on, half the people did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. Those who carried materials did the work with one hand and a weapon in the other. It's called bivocational. I mean, we got these guys, they're out there trying to work, but they also have... You know, it's kind of hard to use a trowel with a sword, but they're doing it because the, the threat is so real. The opposition was so real. They, they worked in one hand and held a sword in the other. 
They held the sword to defend their vision and the attacks against them, which is interesting because when Jesus was accused by Satan, like we talked earlier, he also used the sword as his defense. You see, God calls this the sword. A cute little Bible verse at the right moment is a lifesaver, a life changer. So Jesus, he's out there, his identity is attacked, and guess what he used? At each accusation, Jesus defended with God's truth from the word. He answered the enemy's accusations at his identity with God's truth. And we need to learn from this. This shows that, that Jesus' identity was, was rooted deeply in who God says he was. And Orchard, if our identity is not rooted in who God says we are, we are at the whim of life and circumstance. But when we root ourselves in who the Father says we are, no matter what storms come against us in opposition, we can stand strong. You see, this word informs me of who I am and it reinforces whose I am. My, when the pastor tells me what I've done, Jesus tells me that all is forgiven, that there's no condemnation in Christ, that I can enter into his throne room with confidence. Condemnation is that voice who wants to keep you away from God. God does not speak that language. If you ever feel condemnation pushing you from God, that's not from heaven. Conviction calls you to God. He will only speak conviction, never condemnation to you. Know the voice that you're partnering with. The accuser is real and his whispers and his slander are real. And the sooner we begin to recognize that voice, the sooner we can stop it. Because, because see, this slanderous voice in our life holds us back. Ask yourself, is, when you hear these things and you're driving out and you hear those thoughts come in, is the origin of that from heaven? Is that what God wants me to think about myself? Or is that from somewhere much darker? Who wants to diminish me to the prison of not changing? And perhaps today you've considered, you're considering that you've maybe been living based on a false narrative of the one who wants to diminish your life. For many of us in here, we have to admit, I have been living based on that, on that narrative, that condemnation. Of who do I think I am? And constantly feeling the shame of my past and present. Perhaps today we awaken to the realization that there is a war at hand and our identity is the front line and our destiny is at stake. And, and the hearts and destinies of those around us are at stake too. You see, because as long as I partner with the voice of the accuser, I'll never rise up to the true capacity and power that God calls me to. You see, the, the voice of the opposition, it keeps my mouth closed and my testimony muted. The voice of the opposition keeps my faith small and it keeps my hopes very manageable and my visions very small, attainable. The voice of the opposition keeps me in my place and unchanged. The opposition's voice wants to fade the redemptive light that God has asked me to show the world. The accuser's whispers diminish how we see ourselves. We have given up believing we can have an impact or change the world. We're just gonna eke out as much happiness as we can with what we got. You see, our identity is at stake. And beyond that, our destiny. Nehemiah could have shrunk back and slowed or stopped the great work. I mean, he's slandered, he's accused, he's threatened, and his response is prayer and his response is defense. That's his battle plan. At every turn, he prays. And he adjusts a prayer because, why does he pray? Listen, what the opposition was saying could be true. And it could be true of you. Think of these people. They are weak. 
They are attempting something beyond themselves. They are broken. But when the accuser reminds you of what's true in the natural, you remind him of what's true in the supernatural. When the accuser reminds you of what's true in your past, you remind him of what's true about his future. The accuser knows your name, but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but calls you by your name. Which voice are you going to partner with? Where will you root your identity? Nehemiah and the people pray and they arm themselves for battle and they go on working and progress happens and, and growth happens and the redemptive movement is moving forward and guess what happens then? More opposition. That's how it goes. So they ready, them, they ready themselves for even more attack. And Orchard, if we're to see God's move in us and through us like we hope, we must be prepared for opposition. We work in one hand, we, we weapon in the other. We serve in one hand and we pray in a word in the other and it seems a bit overkill, right? I mean, a sword, this isn't medieval. This is, a, this is modern day. That's a bit much. Daniel, come on. It is overkill if you've chosen the narrative that Jesus is nice and he's real, but there's no enemy. Then it's overkill. But I just want to ask you, if that's what you believe, whose spiritual agenda would that benefit the most? You see, when... You only, live like Nehemiah, you only live like Nehemiah if you know you face opposition. And church, if, if we don't believe we have an enemy, do we need a savior? Do safe people need saving? God's word is clear time and time again. There's one who fights for us, who speaks life into us, who calls us to redemption, who calls us to greater things and step out. So we work with one hand and we hold the promises of God and the truth of our identity in the other. See, when you see that your peace and your destiny is at stake, you rise up. When you see, and you look around you, your friends and family, and others and your, uh, coworkers and people around you, and you see that their hearts and their future's at stake, you rise up. And so wives, pick up your weapon of prayer and fight for the heart of your husband. Husbands, pick up your, your weapon of prayer and fight for the freedom of your wife. Parents, pick up your weapon of prayer and the word and fight for the hearts and the destinies of your children. And each of us, as we go forth to love God and love people, then we pick up our weapon of prayer and pray for those far from God, that they would know his grace and love. James 4, 7 says this, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, when you have these two voices, one from the accuser and one from God, you will submit to one of them. Your life will submit to one of those narratives. James says here, submit to God. And then resist the devil. Submission defeats opposition. Submit to God. He's the king of the angel armies. He's the defender of the weak, the sustainer of the faithful. And then resist the enemy. And in closing, I know there's a couple different groups here. We're all over the spectrum this morning. And there are those of here this morning who, who don't know, you're not resolved that you believe in Jesus yet. You haven't resolved or settled this whole God, God thing. And I want you to know that your greatest opposition will come at that decision. That's the one decision the accuser does not want you making. But I know you don't take this decision lightly. I mean, you come at it with your own experiences and your own past informing you. But my prayer is this, that you begin to listen to a new voice. A voice calling you to life. A voice calling you to grace. 
a voice that calls you to love. A voice that calls you toward a fresh faith. Not an old faith, not dusting off something you used to have, but a new work, a new faith, a new, a new way of following God. A voice that calls you to forgive the imperfect people who harmed you in the past. A voice that beckons you to a fresh start in salvation. I want you to listen to that voice. Because that voice is, is the voice of the Holy Spirit who draws us, who woos us to do great works, to follow him. He will never force you to choose him. But he does call you. You have a destiny ahead that God calls you to. You see, God's offer, Jesus' offer is forgiveness in your past, peace and power in your present, and, and hope in your future. And God's spirit is calling us all to that. So we want the orchard to be a place where you can come and, and discuss and ask questions and investigate with zero judgment and zero condemnation. I want you to know you're called and I want you to know that you're welcome. And anytime, whenever you're welcome, whenever you're ready to maybe make that decision or ask some questions, I want you to find me. Find somebody. Find me before, during, or after. Find one of our prayer people up front or in the back. Find your growth group leader. Find someone and tell them, I want to I talk more about this decision. This is a safe place for us to find and pursue truth with no judgment. And those of us who call the orchard home, those of us who would say that we're settled in our search for faith, that we've chosen to follow Jesus, there is freedom from our opposition. You don't have to live with the voice of the accuser getting the last word in your life. Even at this moment, if you're being condemned based on behavior, that's not God. That's not God. He calls you to come forward for forgiveness and freedom. And maybe today you would like some prayer from the prayer team in the front or the back. I would encourage you to go do that. You can see we have work ahead of us for do. To, we have work ahead of us to do. In echoing Nehemiah's day, we are the builders and the warriors of the redemptive future that God's building here in these walls and moving outside to the whole region. And I don't know if you can tell, but I'm going all in on this first series because I believe God is calling us to, to rebuild for a new future. Orchard, we're looking forward to something larger than ourselves for this church. I'll keep saying it. An awakening, a revival, a redemptive movement. And it's clear, if that's our purpose, if that's our hope, we will face opposition. There's an enemy with claws deep in this world who doesn't want to give an inch to God's people or God's ways. There's an enemy who's going to throw hell at us individually and as a church. There's a culture of this world that doesn't want the culture of God to grow. Not the culture of religion, the culture of Jesus following. See, our call to be redemptive force of grace is clear. And so as we rise up, we will face opposition. And my prayer is that we will stand firm in the faith of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that we will not shrink back from doing the great work. My prayer is that we'll look across the field at the enemy who's armed with, with addiction, who's armed with temptation, who's armed with shame, who has all the facts on you in your path, in your past. And let's condemn you. That we look across at the enemy and we know that we're called to something greater. We submit to our king, we pray, and we rise up. And orchard, what do we do? We charge. We run towards redemption to, to find a better community for our children and our community and our region. We put ourselves and our hearts on the line for grace and love and redemption. We lead and we serve with fervor. We give sacrificially. We forgive and we fight for unity. 
We love our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, and we love other people enough to fight for their salvation and redemption too. All people, no asterisks. We charge the field, we rise up and work because we want to do what God's called us to do. And when opposition comes, and it will, may it find a church who's not religiously content, not a bunch of people satisfied with the status quo of religion, but may it find people, may it find a church of people fully woke to what it means to love God and love people and to put it into action. May our, may our opposition find that we're a people not pretending to be churchy, but we know we're imperfect, but we know we're forgiven. So there's no judgment. God's calling us to stand up despite the slander of the enemy, to partner with heaven so that heaven can come to earth. So rise up, church, and may it be so in us because we will face opposition. But what's greater than our opposition is our God and what he calls us to. We're gonna have a lot of fun because in this, we're gonna see God do a lot of great things, but we're also gonna see that he's gonna change us. Jesus, we come before you. I pray that, I pray that con- condemnation be silenced in this room. I pray that shame of the past be silenced. In Jesus, there's no condemnation. So I pray that, Jesus, your love would win the day in here. For those struggling with a past that haunts them, I pray that you would show them that you have forgiven all things. I pray for those that are far from God or or, or coming closer to God that you would show them that you have a new faith, a new work for them, not something old that they've experienced, not something that's wounded them in the past, something new, something beautiful. Holy Spirit of God, speak clearly. Orchard, as we go into communion, if you're new with us, there's no class to take for communion. This is an open table. Jesus said, come do this in remembrance of me. And so you're welcome to come and do this in remembrance of him. And as you hold the symbol of his body and his blood, the most audacious love in the world to die for us, reminds me that that there are missions of God that are so great. If it demands my life, so be it. And Jesus gave his life for that. Thank him for what he's done. And then I want you to ask him, am I partnering with the opposition? Who do you say that I am? What does your word say that I am? Amen? Let's worship.